Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we investigate Jesus' favorite topic, the Kingdom of God. It must be obvious to all of us that we must start at the beginning of the teaching of Jesus Christ in order to grasp what he taught. In every endeavor, in every learning exercise, we start with the basic premise. We start at the beginning. It makes no sense at all to leap into the middle of the New Testament and to leave the beginning unexamined and unstudied. Now, I must tell you that Jesus and his teaching is rooted in the Hebrew Bible, rooted in what we call the Old Testament. And I should add, rather unfortunately, we call it the Old Testament because it's really the Hebrew Bible which nurtured and fed Jesus as he grew up. When Jesus speaks, he speaks as a Jew, and his terminology is very Jewish. Supposing we did not understand the Jewish environment and the Jewish vocabulary that Jesus uses, do you see what a terrible misunderstanding could arise? Isn't it possible that we have not paid attention to the Jewish message of Jesus? If we begin at the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, we find him coming into Galilee in Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, and making an announcement. If you'll open a Bible to chapter 1 of Mark's Gospel, you'll find there that Mark records a summary statement, a programmatic summary statement of the whole point of the mission and ministry of Jesus, and therefore of the whole point about the Christian faith. Mark sums up in a couple of very neatly worded sentences the whole substance, the sum and substance of the Christian faith he gives us here the terms in which the Christian faith is concentrated. The very genius of Christianity is found in these brilliant summaries provided by Mark as he reported what Jesus did there in Galilee some 2,000 years ago. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, after John had been taken into prison, into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, Mark reports, heralding God's gospel. Now, the word there in the Greek language, kirisin, as our modern Greek friends would pronounce it, has to do with making a public proclamation. It's the very essence of a proclamation that it should be utterly clear and unambiguous if it's going to convey the information necessary for the audience to respond. The Greek word there, kirisin, is the activity of a public herald, somebody making a proclamation to the public to which a response is invited. So imagine yourself then, 2,000 years back, standing in that audience with this brilliant new Jewish preacher who has recently come on the scene, making this announcement. He came with a message which he called God's good news, God's gospel, and he then said this, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in that gospel. Which gospel? Well, the gospel about the kingdom of God. It's a very easy matter to ascertain for yourself the fact that Jesus was a preacher of the good news or gospel concerning God's kingdom. That's the heart and center of everything Jesus spoke about. That's the term, kingdom of God, in which our Christian faith is concentrated. Now, if you today ask people what they think about the kingdom of God, you get often a blank stare some sense of incomprehension. What indeed is the kingdom of God, people will say. We're not even sure. 
I want to tell you that this has to be a theological disaster because the message which Jesus brought to the public concerned the issue of the kingdom of God. Jesus begins by urging his audiences to repent, to change their minds, that's to say, to reorientate themselves to a new horizon and to believe in a very specific message. Jesus, I want to tell you, did not simply say, turn away from your sins and believe that God is love. Turn away from your sins and be good to your neighbor. Certainly those things are excellent in their way. But Jesus' message, his command to repentance, is associated with a much more specific and very messianic and Jewish idea. Namely, the kingdom of God is on the horizon. It's near, Jesus said. He didn't say it had come. He didn't say it was here. He said it is near. It's on the horizon for all of us. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and reorientate your life in view of that great fact, namely the approaching advent of the kingdom of God. As I mentioned just now, many are dumbfounded when they hear that the gospel has to do primarily with the kingdom. Many, in fact, are quite uncertain about what the kingdom of God means. Some have been taught one text about the kingdom only, and that's in Luke 17, verse 21, where Jesus, according to the mistranslation, almost certainly of the King James Version, Jesus says there, the kingdom of God is within you. Now, that's a most uncharacteristic thing for Jesus to say. Modern versions of our Bible have come to the rescue by translating that almost certainly correctly. The kingdom of God was among the people, Jesus said. In that case, he was talking to Pharisees who were looking for the coming of the kingdom of God as an event of the future. And Jesus corrected them in that text, at least, by saying that he, as the king of the kingdom, was standing in their midst. But that is not the characteristic meaning of the kingdom of God in the New Testament. If you trace this phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, and those two phrases are identical in meaning, by the way, there's no difference at all in their meaning. If you trace that phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, through the teaching of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, you'll find that it has to do with a great event of the future. Let me give you a few well-known examples. Jesus said, we're to pray, thy kingdom come. He wasn't urging us to pray for the coming of the king. He was there himself. He certainly was urging us, however, to pray for the second coming of the king, at which time he would introduce the kingdom of God. Thy kingdom come. The kingdom there is obviously a great event in the future. Jesus also said that we're to seek for the kingdom of God as the first priority in our lives. Matthew 6, verse 33. He also said, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom and yourselves being cast out, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There the kingdom of God, of course, is the same as the great judgment day to be introduced by the second coming of Jesus. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, Jesus said, when people will be disappointed, shattered by seeing Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom at that time. In Luke 21, verse 31, Jesus said, that when you see all the cataclysmic events associated with the second coming, then know that the kingdom of God is at hand, is about to come. On another occasion, Jesus said to his disciples that he would not again eat of the communion bread or drink of the communion wine until that communion service would be finally fulfilled in the future kingdom of God. In Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, Jesus said that in the kingdom... The disciples would sit on thrones to administer the tribes of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, when was that to be? 
Well, if you compare that verse in Luke 22, verses 28 to 30, with Matthew 19, verse 28, you'll see that Jesus in Matthew 19:28 said, When the Son of Man comes in power and glory, then he will sit on his throne of glory. And that's the time when, according to Luke 22, verse 28 to 30, the disciples would rule in the kingdom of God. And so it's at the second coming of Christ that the twelve tribes will be regathered in the land of Palestine and the apostles then made immortal by resurrection will be given power and authority to reign in the messianic kingdom with Jesus. Now this idea of the kingdom, of course, is based on the Hebrew Bible. It's at the very heart of Judaism, namely the hope that the Messiah will one day produce peace on the earth by introducing a brand new government which will replace the present nation-states of our world. It will render ineffective present governments and it will replace them by a divine government, one administered by Jesus himself in company with the faithful of all the ages. That's the heart of the messianic hope in the Bible and that's what Jesus meant by the kingdom of God. And so when he announces in Mark 1, chapter 14 and 15, that the time for the great kingdom is now at hand, and we're to repent and believe in that good news, we're being asked to believe right from the start that there's coming a new world on this earth, however, not in heaven, but on this earth, when Jesus will rule in power and glory with the saints. That's the essence of the gospel. And so Jesus, with that inspiring invitation to believe in God's great plan, invites us to reorientate our lives in view of that great fact. Jesus, in fact, was recruiting members of the kingdom of God. He was looking for those who would believe in his message, believe in him as Messiah, and submit their lives to him for training now with a view to becoming co-rulers with him in that future kingdom. Text after text in our New Testaments, as well as in the Old, spells out this very clear story that Jesus, as Messiah, was inviting others to rule with him in the coming kingdom of God. Now, I have to tell you that in the large state church from which I came in England, none of this material was preached with any clarity. Growing up as a boy in England, I seemed to get the idea that if I was good enough, I would disappear to heaven as a disembodied soul and play a harp somehow on a cloud. Now, perhaps there I'm being a little facetious, but I must tell you that there was no clear idea about what the objective of the Christian faith is to be. And yet in page after page of our New Testament, Jesus makes it abundantly clear that we're going to enter the life of the coming age. A mistranslation, incidentally, in many of our versions, that's not life eternal or life everlasting, but the life of the age to come. Again, a very Jewish expression based on Daniel 12, verse 2. Now, that life will indeed be life that lasts forever, but it's a more specific phrase than simply eternal or everlasting life. It's the life to be gained in the future kingdom of God when Jesus comes back to establish that kingdom on the earth. Blessed are the meek, Jesus said in the famous Beatitudes. They're going to have the earth as their inheritance. That doesn't sound like going to heaven when you die. In fact, it's the very opposite. You see, Jesus is coming back to us. The Bible doesn't say that we're going to go to heaven to him. He's coming from heaven to the earth. We're not going to go to him, he's coming to us. Unfortunately, we seem to have been taught the very opposite of the biblical scheme. Once you take a Bible and read it now with a new point of view, namely that your objective is not to go to heaven as a disembodied soul,
But to reign on the earth with Jesus when he comes back, then I think you will find the story will make much better sense. Look, for example, at the question of those who come to Jesus to say, what can I do to be saved? How do they phrase that question? Well, they say, not only what shall I do to be saved, but also in the same breath, what shall I do to inherit the life of the age to come? You notice they didn't say, what shall I do to ensure that I go to heaven when I die? That sort of language is post-biblical language. It was introduced, tragically, into the church in centuries after the Bible. It came in as a result of mixing Greek philosophy and Gnosticism with the Hebrew world of thought of our Bibles. Now, if we want to study the Bible intelligently, we should read it within its own context. We should do the Messiah the honor of understanding him within his own Jewish framework. And one of the best ways of getting at that is to give up all notions of going to heaven when we die. Cease to speak of heaven as the objective of the Christian faith when Jesus doesn't do that. Certainly, he says that treasure can be laid up in heaven for you now, but I want you to realize that that treasure is coming out of heaven with Jesus at the second coming. When, for instance, you store up money in a bank for your retirement, you don't go to the bank to retire. The money comes out of the bank for you to enjoy it at that time. That's the scheme with which Jesus works. That's his very Jewish outlook on the future. Join us again as we continue our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.